Great. Thank you, Barbara. Let's pray as we look at this together. Shall we do keep that reading open? We'll look at it together this morning. Father, thank you for your son Jesus, the word who became flesh as one of us. Thank you for opening the eyes of those that first saw him to understand that he truly came from you. Open our eyes, we again pray, as we read and listen this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when Martin Luther had nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, his local church in Germany, 500 years ago this month, he set a whole chain of events in motion that became called the Religious Reformation across all of Europe. It led to his own trial a year or two later by the church authorities for the teaching he found in the Bible that he thought was contradicting the way that the medieval church had come to be running, particularly what he said about it being through faith in Christ alone that we come to God, not through confession to a priest. And when he was told to recant, to deny what he was teaching, he refused, simply saying famously, here I stand, I can do no other. And those words, here I stand, are kind of defining words from Luther over the centuries. But it is the kind of public stand you and I are called to take ourselves if we follow Christ today. That may not be as dramatic or perhaps God willing, even as dangerous as his public stand was, but it is a stand we need to take anyway. To be public, the word in John's Gospel is witnesses to Jesus. Here I stand, he's the one I follow, as John said at the end, here I stand, I I see and I testify that this is God's son. That's his stand. We saw that uh, John the gospel writer, has a big theme of witnesses in his gospel. It's a big theme here. It's almost like John the writer is like a a law barrister. He's in a court presenting a case for Jesus, and he keeps bringing forward witnesses for his case. And of those witnesses, the one we look at today, John the Baptist, is one of the most important. So let's listen carefully to the witness for the defense, John the Baptist, speaking about Jesus this morning. Now, if you've read the other Gospels at all, you'll know John the Baptist was a very unusual individual. He wore camel's skin, he ate locusts, he lived in the desert, he had a very fiery preaching style. So, if you read Luke's Gospel, when the crowds came to him to be baptized as a sign of coming back towards God... John called them a brood of vipers, snakes, fleeing from the coming fire, the coming judgment. Quite a character, but interestingly, John the writer pretty much ignores all of that colour about John the Baptist and really goes for the core issue. What is John's calling? What's his ministry? And as we've seen, it is simply John is a witness to Jesus. That's all that John the writer cares about, that we know. John the Baptist is a witness to Jesus, and he witnesses to Jesus, really, if you've got the translation the NIV here, the way that it's broken down in the text, verses 19, 
is the first section, starting in verse 19, where John the Baptist is saying, I'm a witness to Jesus because of the words of the prophet. Um, And then from verse 29, he then says, I'm a witness to Jesus because of the witness of the Spirit, because of what I've seen the Spirit did in Jesus. So verse 19, first of all, John is a witness because of the words of the prophet Isaiah. He's attracted attention. The people come from Jerusalem, the leaders, we're told, from the temple in Jerusalem come. It's a little bit of a kind of Ofsted inspection, isn't it? They're checking him over. What's this guy teaching? And they're probably not not kind of looking for, you know, pupil engagement, all that stuff that Ofsted look for. They're looking for, is this guy solid? As we would regard it, um, biblical in what he's teaching. They're looking perhaps to find fault. Maybe they're still open-minded. We're not quite clear here. John doesn't tell us. But they ask these three questions. Are you the Messiah, John? Well, he says, I'm not. They say, okay, are you Elijah? They expected Elijah, the prophet, to come again before the day of judgment. He says, no. And so they say, well, are you the prophet? They expect another prophet like Moses to come one day. And again, he says, no. And it's a hugely tempting moment for him, isn't it, this? Uh, has anyone said to you, no, are you the Messiah? You're amazing. Are you the Messiah? No? Well, perhaps not. But John was a very extraordinary man. and He had this impact. And it must have been tempting. They're almost offering him the job, aren't they? Say, look, you know, we think you're, you're pretty amazing. We're intrigued. Are you the Messiah? And he could have gone, well, actually, well, kind of, yeah, I am. And he could have started drawing followers and attracting a crowd and perhaps even one day becoming the king. But of course he doesn't. He turns it down absolutely flat, very emphatic. I am not. He says it three times, doesn't he? He gets more, more curt, more short each time, almost like he's losing patience with them. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not. No. Very blunt. Almost saying, stop asking me. But it is a great lesson from John here, isn't it? Whenever um, we get praise from other people, or perhaps people admire what we do, or feel in debt to us, to start thinking we are kind of the Messiah for them. We all need to learn at points, don't we, to say, I am not the Messiah. That job is taken. So he says, no, I am not. And then he says, when they press him further, in verse 23, he says, this is where he goes back to the words of the prophet. He says, as Isaiah said in the Old Testament, hundreds of years earlier, I am, you might say simply, I am the voice. I'm a voice calling in the desert, in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. It's written in the prophet Isaiah. That's his words. That's how I see my role. I'm just the voice crying in the, in the desert, get ready, because God is coming. Just as God led his people out from slavery through the desert to the promised land, from Egypt, years before, God is going to do the same thing again one day, and I'm just here to tell you to be ready for that. God is on the move. God is coming. So get ready. That's John's calling, and he's convinced of it, because he sees it in the words of the prophet. So John is a voice. 
The Pharisees, in verse 24, don't seem so happy. They say, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? It's kind of saying, what right do you have? If you're just a voice, not a great man, why do you baptize then? What right? Again, if you notice, he doesn't really answer the question, does he? He says, I baptize with water. But... Here he gets to the point now. This is his his witnessing. But among you, this is slightly intriguing, isn't it? But among you stands one you don't know. Of course, he's talking about Jesus here, about the Messiah, about God's Son, about the one he's preparing for. He says, "You, you can't see him yet. He's here, but you don't know who he is yet, do you? He's among you, but you don't know. He is the one who comes after me. He's the one I'm preparing for. He is God in human form, and I'm just a slave. The straps of his sandals, I'm not even worthy to untie them. He's saying, isn't he, never mind me. Who cares who I am? What you need to know is who he is. Jesus. He'll go and explain in verse 33, why Jesus is greater. In verse 33, he says, I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The other gospel says, and with fire. So I've just got a a ritual, a, a bit of water for you, but he's got, as it were, the real thing. He comes to cleanse us, to purify the world of evil. He is very powerful, and I am really absolutely weak I just baptize with water but one among you is coming and you don't yet know who he is but I'll point you to him the people can't see it yet the Messiah, it's intriguing isn't it it's almost like Jesus is is there at the back of the crowd somewhere and he says he's among you he's standing here but you can't see him yet and all I care about says John is pointing you to him That's why I'm here. I'm just a voice. I want you to be ready for him. Envy of someone is a very human thing, isn't it? There's a great story about a a poet called Samuel Rogers who lived in the 19th century. And apparently once he was at a a social function and everyone in the room was praising a particular duke who was absent at that moment. And they were saying how good looking he was and how intelligent he was, and how wealthy he was, and what great prospects he had. And uh, in a brief pause, Roger simply said, well, thank God he has bad teeth. <laughs> Do you have that kind of feeling of, you know, thinking of, they're all praising someone else, I wish it was me. And John the Baptist doesn't have that, does he, at all. He has tremendous humility. He really knows his place in relation to Jesus. It's almost like um, Jesus is the bridegroom, one of the pictures in the Gospels, and John is saying, look, I'm I'm just the best man. I'm just here to to get you to him. He's the one you need to see. Or, perhaps a less serious image, I'm Robin, and he's Batman. I'm just a voice. I'm just splashing with water, really, but you need to meet him when he comes. It's intriguing. I think we do sometimes idolize Christian leaders. Um, 
even against their will. You know, if, if you were to ask Billy Graham, the great evangelist, you know, Billy, you're an amazing preacher. You know, are you the Messiah? What would he have said? What would he say? He would simply say, I am not the Messiah, but I know a man who is, wouldn't he? And that's absolutely, that's it, isn't it? That's what we should be doing. By all means, listen to preachers, but worship Jesus alone. That's what John's saying, isn't it? I'm just a voice. The Pharisees were asking about John, his right to baptize with water. And again, it's almost like he says it's, it's really not about the water. It's about the deeper cleansing and purifying that the world needs and that he's going to bring. We get so hooked up, don't we, as churches sometimes on, on rites or rituals and we actually can't see the Redeemer, Jesus. Or we get again into our customs and our comfort zones and we lose the calling to follow Christ. So, let's listen to John's words this morning. John the Baptist cry to us. He says, look, I'm just a voice, but I'm a voice that the words of the prophet told you would one day sound out, and I want you to hear that Jesus is coming. Get ready. Are you ready for him this morning? And again, if you're here this morning and you are perhaps searching, not sure about Jesus and God... What a great thing to do would be just pick up a John's Gospel. One of, they've got these nice editions here called Uncover John. They're on the book table at the back there again. And keep reading, because that's what John is saying. He's saying, keep listening. He's among you. He's going to speak to you, but you need to listen. So get a copy of this and just read on, and you'll be surprised how God begins to speak to you in Jesus. So that's John's reason one, isn't it? He says, I want to witness to Jesus because of the words of the prophet that I'm a voice to get you ready. Secondly, our second point from verse 29, he says also, I want to speak about Jesus because of the witness of the Spirit that I saw. This is the first line, verse 29, where John openly testifies to Jesus. Jesus, next day, John says, John the writer, John the Baptist is there, and Jesus walks along, walks up, and John the Baptist says, look, here he is. I told you, here he is. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, he's here. This is the one. This is the one, he says, I meant when I said someone was coming after me. Physically, um, younger than me. But spiritually, he was before me. He's God. He's always been there. He doesn't have a birthday. This is the one. But Lamb of God, what a strange way to introduce him. Why don't you say this is Jesus from Nazareth and so on? Lamb of God. Well, again, people debate what this phrase means, why John the Baptist uses it. Um, you know, Jesus introduced as a kind of fluffy ball of wool. Seems strange, doesn't it? The Messiah? Well, on one hand, to the readers, originally the hearers, it would have made more sense. There was an expectation in Judaism that one day God would send actually a judge to cleanse the world of evil, and they called him the Lamb of God, quite a military figure. That's probably in John the Baptist's mind. But also, in the Old Testament, you may know in Isaiah 53, 
the prophet Isaiah again. He speaks about how we've all gone away from God, but God's servant will give his life, and it says, like a lamb to the slaughter. And he will make atonement, he'll pay for the prices of many. So there is this connection between the lamb that God will send and our sins being dealt with. Interesting, in John's Gospel, people have noticed that the way that the death of Jesus is pictured, and we're remembering that in our communion this morning, is often as a moment of glory, of God's love being fully demonstrated, and it is that. But at the same time, notice here, it's not just a a great example of love, it's also a payment for our sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He'll one day purify all evil, all injustice as the Lamb, but on the cross, he'll redeem us. The Lamb of God. And so we think, well, John, why are you so convinced that he is the one? Why are you so convinced that he is the one God has sent? And he replies to that, doesn't he, from verse 32, the last few verses. John gave this testimony, this witness. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Talk about the the baptism of Jesus, which had obviously already taken place, where from the other Gospels we know, in some extraordinary way, God's Spirit, the very life of God, filled Jesus in gentleness, that's the kind of dove thing here, gently, innocently filling him, and then, secondly, remaining on him. And that's important. In the Old Testament, people like King David were were sometimes briefly given God's spirit to do great things for God, but it never kind of lasted very long. Quickly, the spirit left them again. Jesus has probably just spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted and tested. He's come back to John the Baptist, and John can see the Spirit's still there in him. The Spirit came down as a dove, he says, and I saw that, and the Spirit remains on him, and I've seen that too. This is the one. And I knew this, he says, um, because before that, I hadn't realized who he was, really. He was just a cousin of mine and a pretty amazing guy, but I didn't know he was the Messiah. But God told me, that I would see the Spirit come down as a dove and remain on the Messiah when he came. And this is the one. The witness of the Spirit, the sign that he gave to John the Baptist that this would be the Messiah when he baptized him. That's what convinced him. That's why John is giving us his testimony this morning. That's why he is so convinced that we need to hear about Jesus. That's why he's saying, Here I stand. I've seen and I testify that this is God's son. This is God's chosen one. That's how he ends our passage, doesn't it? Verse 34. This is God's son. I've seen. That's a very important phrase in John's gospel. It doesn't just mean literally, physically. It means I've I've understood, I've got it. It's a great invitation to us, isn't it, today? Have you seen yet? Have you got it yet? Who Jesus is. But it is also the claim of an eyewitness. I saw this, he's saying. I was there. I baptized him. Intriguingly, uh, in our modern world, we are predisposed, aren't we, 
to believe people when they say they, they saw something remarkable. So in kind of modern history, we have no trouble believing that, um, that the Dunkirk evacuation happened. People saw it. Reading the other day about how sailors who served under Lord Nelson, admiral in the Navy about 200 years ago, bore witness to how he would stride the deck in the middle of a battle wearing his full uniform and all his shining medals, a, a real target for sharpshooters, and the courage he showed in doing that. We don't believe he did that, do we? we, we they saw it. They've told us. But as C.S. Lewis says, it's interesting. When it comes to ancient history, we're often more skeptical. So he says that we, we naturally doubt that a certain battle may have taken place in the ancient world, just as much as we might doubt that the resurrection of Jesus took place. It's very important that we recognize the authentic value of ancient history, including the Gospels. John is saying, I have seen this. I baptized him. I witnessed this. I testify. And John, the Gospel writer, is saying, look, here's my witness He saw this. In fact, I saw it too. And we would do well to take the witness seriously, not just to be skeptical out of our nature. So if you are exploring the Christian faith but still a bit skeptical, as I say, keep reading the gospel. Do ask me or one of us afterwards, how can I keep searching this stuff to see if it really does check out that I may see and believe as well? Uh, and I do encourage you, if you're, a, if you're a regular here, pick up that book of the term I mentioned. And one of the things it says in here is, over coffee after service, don't just talk about the weather. It's not very inspiring today anyway, is it? But ask each other, how did you come to see? What brought you to faith in Jesus? Because John had the words of the prophet, the witness of the spirit. What was it that prompted you? Was it reading the Bible? Was it a Christian you knew? How did you come to see? Good question to ask each other, isn't it, over coffee? And finally, on Wednesday, we're going to be praying for the people of our parish. And we're surrounded by, what, six, 7,000 people here, others that come in and work here or in the school here, many of whom do not yet know Jesus. As it were, he, he stands among them in this parish, but they haven't yet seen him. How can we pray for them on Wednesday that he'll begin to open eyes as we testify to the one that we've seen and know. What a difference it would make if, like John the Baptist and John the Gospel writer, we take a stand. We just lovingly, respectfully, but like John, say, look, look the Lamb of God, look Jesus, he's the one. And there's a string of witnesses to that too. Because we're offering people, aren't we here, not just the water of symbolism, but the washing away of sins. We are offering people, aren't we, as a church, not just a call to repentance, but a place in the kingdom. And we are offering people not a religion of man's making, but a revelation of none other than God's Son. So let's pray together now. (coughs) 
Lord Jesus, Son of God, you stand among us. Some of us perhaps can't yet recognize you. We pray for you to help us. We pray that John's words, look the Lamb of God, will point us to you. We thank you for those who've helped us to see you as you truly are. We pray that we'll see you afresh this morning and that you will send us to live for you, to take our stand wherever you send us and point others to Jesus, the Son of God and the coming King, in whose name we pray. Amen.